Yeah. I know, I know. But we're so close, I can feel it. Uh huh. Okie doke. I will keep you abridged. That's not the proper use of that word, you know. I think you mean apprised or abreast. Who are you talking to anyway? <laughs> abreast. Right. <laughs> Why do I bother? All right, look. Hurry up and settle in. We're about ready to go. Wait, what do you mean, ready to go? Well, here's the thing. I've been putting in a lot of after-hours work lately, trying to really take this show to the next level. And you know what? Turns out, you might have finally gotten through to me after all. After a few long nights and uh, a little retooling... Uh, retooling? I think we finally arrived at something we can both be proud of. So today... My friend, you get to sit back, relax, and just enjoy the show. I think you might find there's a little less work for you to do than usual. Uh, okay then, uh, that's cool. Sure, fine, fine by me. Outstanding. Now, if you don't mind just scooching back a touch there, and yeah, all right, yeah, there you go. We are ready. Check the mic. Uh-huh, levels are Good, and start the live stream, and... Wait, live stream? What the hell are you... From Disinformed Content Media, in association with Finder Productions, this is... Or No... The Storytellers. What's up, knowers? Welcome to this week's episode of Hard Know. I'm your host, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me today as we explore yet another element of our deceptive world. So, sit back, pour yourself a nice big cup of joe, and tune those ears to Full attention, because this week, folks, we are going full tilt boogie. Holy smokes, my man is snap, crackle, popping out there, and I am digging it. And of course, a huge shout out to those of you joining us on the live stream today, too. I am thrilled to have you all with me live for the first time ever on this journey for truth. And yes, I'll be taking questions as we go along through the episode here, but before we get going... Hard No is brought to you by Audiotastic Microphones. When you need the clearest, crispiest sound for your audio productions, there's no microphone I trust more than Audiotastic. Remember, if it sounds good, it's Audiotastic. Good lord, he's even got ads queued up and ready to go. Wow, they really do grow up so fast. You just, you never appreciate the time you have. All right, listeners. This week, we're really going to get down to it. We'll be taking a sledgehammer to a particular group of grifters that I take real exception to. Oh, a Dan with no holds barred. He's finally leveling up. God, this is so exciting. If my producer would settle down there, you know, maybe I could actually get this narrative rolling. I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> Each and every day, regular people struggle to make sense of a world that is chaotic, confusing, with stressful situations constantly piled on top of their everyday responsibilities. They yearn to be well-informed, to be able to rely on good, solid information to soothe our souls, to take the edge off, reduce some of that cognitive load we've mentioned in past episodes. But instead, what do these good, honest people, people like you and I, get handed? A never-ending barrage of fear-mongering, blame-slinging, a targeted torrent of emotions that none of us are equipped to handle. Lies told, misinformation sold and spread like a plague. Fingers turned on innocent people and turned away from the true culprits, the nefarious criminal kingpins of the airwaves who have polluted the water of words, who have only made life more chaotic, more confusing for the hard-working folks like you. I'm speaking, of course, about the people who control the news, the misinformation media moguls who have made it their life's work to keep us scared, angry, and divided, and all in the name of profit. Strong, assertive, full of confidence. Boom. 
Now this is podcasting. Okay. I'm already seeing some responses from the live stream over here. Shout out to donkeyballer69 here in the chat who says, hell yes, taking back our brains from the manipulators behind the curtain. <laughs> you know, I agree, donkeyballer. Enough is enough. And today, right now, is where we turn the tide. Now, just a reminder, make sure you share this stream out and bring your friends and followers along for the ride. We're changing the world here, people. The revolution will be live streamed. Jeez, you know, we might be onto something here. Look at these engagement numbers. They're already bumping up and up. Holy majumbo, we just broke a thousand hits. It's really happening. But hey, I'm not just going to shout my ideas at you all day like some shallow opinion jockey. No, 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 no. Here at Hard No, we're all about that well-researched information. Facts, truth in its purest form. That's what makes us the most trusted name in podcasting. I mean, I love that, but uh, is that a verified fact? Like, can you really verify trustworthiness with a metric? Then again, if you say it with such gusto, hell, does it even matter? As always, when we dissect a topic, I consider it my duty to ensure you have the broader context you need to see the fuller picture. And in order to understand these mass media manipulators, we need to go way back. <laughs> Suprema non 1440 says, give me that sweet, sweet context, pod daddy. Look at you. You're like the Pedro Pascal of podcasting. Mm, the Podro Pascal, if you will. Nice. That'll go viral on TikTok. Well, rest assured, I'm going to give them more context than they can shake a stick at, my friend. But before that, the following contextually historical segment is brought to you by Swingin' D's all-natural male supplementation capsules. Chock full of pretty much every kind of nutrient there is, they put the extreme in throbbing extremities. Head to swingingd.com and use promo code GETHARD20 to get 20% off of your first shipment. Oof, cha-ching, another pitch-perfect ad placement. Sheesh, this, this episode is really moving me. To a bigger house! <laughs> we spent a lot of time this season establishing the importance of the nuances of language, the various ways we transmit information from one person to another, and how words, images, and their meanings can change over time. These are all central elements to human society. We owe many, if not all, of our achievements as a species to these tools of communication. Now, of course, it hasn't always been easy. And Lord knows, it's rarely been reliable. That is, until our little show came along. Hard No only deals in the truthiest of truths. You're damn right. Now... What historian wouldn't agree that everything changed in the year 1439 when a German craftsman named Johannes Gutenberg constructed the world's first printing press? Although, pst, truth bomb here. We've since learned that the first movable printing technology was actually created in 1040 AD by Chinese inventor Bi Sheng, and that books were being printed in 14th century Korea long before Gutenberg got cracking, or, well, should I say, Crafting. Ooh, nice aside. So you're saying we created a one-sided Eurocentric version of history and uh, just ran with it? As we do, yep. Naturally, we prefer our narratives to feel closer to home, so to speak. Nevertheless, this was a turning point in human history. The written word was suddenly able to spread with much greater efficiency, and the world was forever changed. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just uh, test my knowledge here. If I remember correctly from episode one, the effectiveness of memes was based on how efficiently they could be copied and the accuracy of those copies. So, similarly, the printing press basically allowed a more efficient and accurate way to copy and spread ideas and knowledge. Oh, jeez. Now who's proud? <laughs> they learned so quickly. But yes, correct. Information could then be copied and transmitted all over the world with an efficiency that had never been seen before. And then, well, it was only a matter of time before we began widespread mass printing, which of course eventually gave birth to the news-obsessed culture we know and love today. Hey, uh, you ever wonder, what did people do before there were papers to read? Oh, and GargglerDemon33 just asked in the chat, what did people do before there were papers to read? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, but, but I just... And that leads me to today's first boil down. The boil down. 
And remember that hard-nosed patented boil downs are sponsored by DuraWare, the most reliable name in cookware, now guaranteed to not flake little bits of Teflon all over your food. All right, so let's boil it down, folks. News is essentially the gossip of the world at large. Whether it's local, national, or worldwide, it's a simple passing along of things that happen. Before newspapers, there were monks and travelers who brought tidings from the places they'd been or told tales they'd swapped with others along the way. There were also town criers, bards, messengers of all kinds. In ancient Rome, write-ups of local goings-on were posted in public squares for the rabble to gawk at and gossip over. Humankind has always relished the opportunity to spread stories, rumors, hearsay, whatever we can get our hands on. Whether truth or fiction, whether for enjoyment or for more practical uses, stories are a verbal tradition dating back to early civilization. It was how cultural histories were passed down, how information was taught and built upon, often with a little creative embellishment along the way. Sounds like the basis of all podcasting. <laughs> that is actually an excellent point, which brings me to my next excellent point. Modern technology is a variation in this same theme. You're right, a podcast, like a news network, a documentary, or a Twitter feed, it's just a new twist on an old idea. The advent of the printing press, that newfound technology capable of a more efficient, effective transmission of information, unleashed a power that the world had never seen. And as the centuries passed, these advances were only further amplified by the development of radio, then television, and now the internet. It is, in many ways, the apex of information, social media, live streams, podcasts, the power of the printing press, of words, of news, is in everyone's hands for the first time in history. Yes, yes, this is going great, buddy boy. People are engaging, sharing, hearting left, right, and center. I mean, seriously, there are so many hearts all over the screen. It's like Valentine's Day at the freaking drugstore in here. We're finally doing it, my man. Taking the show to the next level. boy, I am here for it. But before we press on... Let's take a moment to hear from one of our dynamic advertising partners. For you live streamers, I'll be doing a quick Q&A during the break. And for the rest of you, hard no, we'll be right back after these messages. Stick around. Wow, I've never felt so unneeded and yet so impressed. Hey now, couldn't do it without you, buddy. Hey, I'm Dan. Host of the Hard No Podcast, here to tell you about my favorite new home delivery service, Forlorn, the one-stop shop for literally everything you need to function as an adult. As our listeners know, life can be hard and full of stresses that sap up all that precious mental energy, scary news cycles, obnoxious children, a job that you can't leave because of our modern system of economic serfdom. Forlorn understands and they're here to take all that complicated think work out of the little things. No more going to buy groceries and having to prep food. No more remembering to replace that shredded underwear. No more putting the toothpaste on the toothbrush. No more thinking or doing of any kind. Forlorn will do it for you. Forlorn's weekly drops will perfectly portion out each and every item and action of your week. Seven pre-packaged outfits, seven days of meals, seven late night snacks, seven suggestions for what to watch on Netflix, seven portions of pet food, which doubles as a late night snack for you if you don't have a pet, seven mouthfuls of mouthwash, seven perfectly measured five ounce glasses of wine, which you can consume all at once if the sadness of life gets to be too much. It'll be our little secret. Also, seven insightful thoughts specially curated by me, Dan Felton of Hard No, so you can seem interesting at parties or around the office without all the annoying effort of reading and or learning. And here's the best part. When you're done with your perfectly portioned week of everything, just throw it all in the trash and wait for the next drop. After all, that's what garbage collection is for. Forlorn even provides seven industrial-sized trash bags. Go to forlorn.com, that's the number four, L-O-R-N, for you spelling required folk out there and click the giant I need help button right there on the homepage and be sure to enter the ridiculously simple promo code need to get 20% off your first shipment. Forlorn. Life in a box. 
Wow, Thano, I didn't know you'd recorded your own ad copy on the side. Very nice. <laughs> that is so funny, Pile Driver 420. <laughs> That's so true. When it comes to telling a good story, you have to arrange things just right. Otherwise, uh, uh, Danny boy, we're back. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Just caught up in the interactivity of the stream here. <laughs> Jeez. This thing is more popular than the show has ever been. Well, content experts agree that video content is the preferred medium. After all, it's more shareable on multiple. Hey, here on Hard No, we don't make content according to the experts. We are an original production that subverts expectations, changes the game. We're pioneers trailblazers we are out here to blow minds and melt hearts and of course change the world <laughs> okie doke yeah i can dig it uh you are seriously jacked up right now my friend did you happen to take a little uh before this episode come on come on come on come on let's keep it going we're building momentum here so it's the 1800s and with the technology to spread written information came a new kind of business the business of information Newspapers, magazines, dailies, monthlies, quarterlies. Of course, up to that point, there had been various rudimentary forms of news media, though nothing nearly as sophisticated or widespread as what was to come. Yeah, hold up. Why so much time between the invention of the printing press and the whole newspaper boom? Isn't that like a couple hundred years? Uh, you're right. There was quite a bit of an in-between, actually. For example... In the 1640s, when England broke out into civil war, people relied on papers to keep up with the events of the time. Unfortunately, most of those papers were under strict government control. In 1644, writer John Milton advocated against government censorship and licensing of written works in his impactful piece, Areopagitica. After the dust settled, a newfound appreciation for a free press was born among the populace of England. And around this time, newsprinting saw a drastic uptick. Ah, I see. It took a certain heroic someone laying down the right words at the right time to sway the hearts and minds of the people. Foster a desire for a little informational freedom, huh? Love it. And it looks like our listeners agree. Whole lot of no regulating our speech comments in the chat here. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Down with censorship. Hard no has entered the battlefield of the free market of ideas, and we're bringing the hammer of informational regulation down on top of this corrupt pyramid. Call it trickle-down accountability. Oof, that one is positively blowing up the chat, my man. But wait, isn't there still like a century or two between the English revolutionary whatever and the printing press? What's with everything moving at, like, tortoise speed? Well, that's a good point. After its invention, the printing press spread across Europe, allowing the copying of millions of books from the OG Bible to the classics of ancient Greece and beyond. Information had been unleashed and created what historian Elizabeth Eisenstein called an agent of change, a sort of cultural metamorphosis that ultimately led to the Renaissance, Reformation period, and scientific revolution that would follow. It was a slow burn, yeah, but over time, it was changing the intellectual history of planet Earth. But then, along came the 19th century. A radical new nation called America was blowing up the scene. In France, a bloody revolution against the monarchy. People moving into ever-expanding towns and cities. New systems of government, new technologies, industrial growth, and a spreading ideology of market-based economics. Safe to say... There was a lot going on. Hence a greater need than ever for widespread accessible news. Folks need to know what's up around town and across the pond. And the people in power need to be able to inform said folks of critical info as they spread farther and wider across continents. Bingo. Thanks to the free market dogma of Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, a.k.a. the Capitalism Bible, in the new world, newspapers were already being seen as something of a business venture. Unlike in Britain, where newspapers were regulated and heavily taxed, American government policies actually subsidized newspapers through the developing postal system, while not taxing advertising revenue, which, of course, incentivized countless savvy entrepreneurs to found highly profitable newspapers in order to take advantage of these policies. Yet again, what was once an elemental function of human society used for sharing, learning, growing, the act of storytelling, had somehow been monetized for profit and personal gain. The American news industry exploded. Audiences boomed. 
eyes and ears and advertisements became the name of the game. Hey, now you're speaking my language. Big audiences equal big money. ABS, Danny boy, always be selling. And now we come to a key turning point. As the news industry grew, so did the profession of journalism. After all, someone had to collect all this information, ruminate on the rumors of the day, arrange their words in neat little rows, and send them off to the presses. The business of gathering and sharing news had finally landed back in the hands of human beings. Aha, the democratization of information. What a glorious thing. And we all lived happily ever after. Right? Oh, oh, oh no. Wrong show, friendo. At the risk of you calling me repetitive, as the mass spread of information occurred, so did the ability to spread misinformation and falsehoods. You said it yourself when we first met. Anyone can say anything or whatever. The power of spreading information via widespread news media and unchecked advertising made that statement truer than ever. The developing news industry had money-making baked right into its delicious crust. Between the advertising boom and the lack of regulations, anything and everything could be sold in papers. Most notably, countless patent medicines that claimed to cure whatever ailed you. Ooh, another smooth throwback. Ah, remember our Macola app? Those were simpler times, eh, buddy boy? Ooh, seems some folks in the chat are a little confused. They're asking what the deal is with all the quips and whatnot. Jeez, I'm starting to feel a little unloved over here. Hey, 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 folks. Never underestimate the value of a second voice in the room. Sometimes you need someone to bounce ideas off of. Someone to ask important follow-up questions, add a little context. You know, it helps avoid the echo chamber. <laughs> I don't know, uh, that seems to have only made them more confused. But hey, I say whatever. The numbers are strong, Danny boy. Don't question the beast, tame it. Giddy up! Now, throughout the 19th century, printing technology really began to ramp up. Steam-powered printing presses increased efficiency, the double press in 1814, the cylindrical rotary press in 1865, and of course, the crescendo, the linotype machine invented by Ottmann Mergenthaler in 1884. Demand increased. The public wanted more and more printed copies. Entire printing plants were built. Hundreds of people were employed to run them, as well as to handle transportation, distribution, circulation, sales. The power of the Industrial Revolution combined with the insatiable human need for more and more and more information, more stories, more gossip. A brave new world was born. Yes, and what a beautiful world it is. Content, content, and more content. This is my bread and butter, Danny boy. Oof, I am all a flutter over here. You and me both, buddy. Oh, and remember, folks, our patented producer asides are brought to you by Higher Plane Airlines, offering the lowest fares on the highest ethereal destinations. Each Higher Plane flight comes equipped with a spiritual advisor, a medium, and a selection of spiritually enlightening activities to make your travel experience as insightful as it is exhilarating. Look inward while you travel outward and book your next trip today. Uh, that's, uh... <laughs> Quite the business idea. Uh, I gotta say I'm a little surprised, though. It doesn't really seem like your vibe, Danny boy. Oh, yeah? Uh, you should see the advance they paid for that ad slot. <laughs> well, then shut my mouth. Do continue. Now, the news boom of the 1800s was a turning point in the history of information, and it came with a power and influence unlike anything humans had seen before. And so, naturally, certain types began to circle like vultures, seeking a way to invest, consolidate, or otherwise exploit that power. In this case, it was a new class of wealthy business barons who saw the potential of controlling what people know, and in a way, reshaping reality. Ah, the whole uh, what you see is all there is, right? Exactly, my man. And look at that. The knowers in the live stream get it too. Uh, yeah, you know what? Feels like the right spot to throw it to a break. Toss it away, Captain. I'll, uh, I'll be right back. Dynamic ad time? Don't have to ask me twice. Stay tuned, folks. Hard no, we'll be right back. As the hammer draws ever closer to the nail. <laughs> yes, sir. I am seeing it, too. I, I know. I agree. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. Something doesn't feel right. Picture this. 
It's 5 a.m., the start of another beautiful, bountiful day. You wake with a smile, hit the gym, then head to the office for that super important board meeting that could have been a Zoom call. Time to rise and grind. Meanwhile, your local Tom Flogman's employee is already hard at work preparing to bring a smile to your day. Disinfecting the counters, unfreezing the bacon, and putting on a hot, fresh pot of your favorite Tommy's Dark Roast. But today, they've got something a little different, something special. Introducing the all-new Tom Flogman's Chicken Bacon Jalapeno Turkey Avocado Crunch Wrap Breakfast Sandwich Supreme. Made with Monterey Jack cheese, tomato, six kinds of lettuce, and your choice of chipotle aioli or spicy maple barbecue sauce. Slathered over a mouth-watering array of meats, a crispy hash brown, and one of our signature egg pucks. All served on a loaf of fluffy, fresh-baked focaccia. Sure, your local Tommy Sandwich artisan didn't exactly put it together just right. The egg's a little damp. They forgot your hash brown, and there's lettuce falling out of every side. And sure, you'd probably take it back and scream at them like a maniac if you had even one second to spare. But, mmm, mmm, none of that matters now, because you can taste a smile in every bite. It starts your day off right. You manage to forgive that minimum wage worker. After all, they make less in a week than you'll make today alone. But hey, that's not your problem. As far as you're concerned, it's just a part-time job for college students. Never mind that the woman who serves you is 62 years old and struggling to keep pace with the frantic flow of customers barking orders at her. If she doesn't like it, she should just quit, pull up her bootstraps, and get a real job, like you. Anyway, mmm, goddamn, that's a good sandwich. It's gonna be a great day. A hot cup of Tommy's in one hand, a giant lopsided sandwich in the other, steering your car with your knees, probably. Maybe you even grabbed a box of tasty little Tom Knob donuts for the office. Everyone loves that. And for a limited time, five cents from every box of Tom Knobs goes to the Twinkie Kids Foundation to help fight childhood obesity, for which we are clearly at least partly responsible. Start your day off right with Tom Flogman's and wrap your smile around our thick, juicy sandwich. Limited time only. Some restrictions apply. By accepting the sandwich, you are agreeing to waive all legal rights to participate in the ongoing class action lawsuit against Tom Flogman's Incorporated and all future legal matters pertaining to said company in perpetuity throughout the universe. And we're back. Uh, uh, sorry, folks. It looks like my producer is still out on his call, but hey, you know, we can truck on without him, can't we? Uh, sorry, so I I don't I don't get all this confusion. He's just here to support the show, you know, run ads, socials, and so on. What's what's not to get? But all right, anyway, let's get back to it. This is where things really start heating up. The great news baron war, that is, the early news empires battling for dominion of this new and lucrative industry. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got it, Pixie Dustling 22. We are absolutely painting the bigger picture here, providing broader historical context that can later be boiled down into simplistic taglines and memes. See, it's a complicated dance of... Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Yeah. No, no, I'm on top of it. Uh, sorry, Pally. I didn't realize I was gone so long. Hey, all good, my man. I am a forgiving host. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, where we at? Let me introduce you to a couple of men. Yes, of course, men. Who would go on to corrupt and alter the informational landscape in the late 1800s. First, but not least, William Randolph Hearst. Born April 29, 1863 in San Francisco, William was the son of the ruthless mining magnate, California senator, and classic HBO villain George Hearst. After a tumultuous upbringing as the son of a ruthless multimillionaire, young Billy Randolph was handed the reins to his father's newspaper, the San Francisco Examiner, at the tender age of 23. Fun side fact, Papa George had acquired the paper some years prior as payment for a gambling debt. Ah, you see? Never underestimate the power of games of chance. To think the butterfly effect of history was forever changed by a hand of cards or a roll of dice. Oof, the universe is a cruel mistress. Oh, indeed it is. But William Randolph Hearst was nothing if not his father's son. Having a full business handed to him on a silver platter was not enough. Hearst had his sights set on nationwide domination of the industry. He gave the San Fran Examiner the motto, the monarch of the dailies, and invested in the best technology and writers he could find. 
Knowing he would need a foothold in what was then the business capital of the East Coast, he purchased the New York Morning Journal in 1895, which put him squarely at odds with the largest newspaper in New York at the time, the New York World, which was owned and operated by the other side in our little News War One, a man named Joseph Pulitzer. And while we're at it, this News War Halftime Show is brought to you by... Stano, even I feel damn near advertised out by now. Who is this ad-friendly Dan? Where's the cynical downer I know and love? Shh, it's paying the bills, baby. This brief intermission is brought to you by Instameme. It's tough to keep up with the constant demands of content creation... Up your game with Instameme, the AI-powered meme generator that floods your feed with fire content by auto-posting top-tier memery every 15 minutes. Don't let the algorithm bury you. Rise to the top with Instameme. Wow, I am speechless. Seriously, I'm like a fish out of water today. Joseph Pulitzer was born in Hungary in 1847. As a young man, he tried several times to enlist in military service before finally getting his wish by being recruited to America, where he fought for the Union side in the American Civil War. After the war, he eventually found himself rubbing elbows with some powerful folks in St. Louis, Missouri, where he would come to work at a German-language newspaper called the Westlich Post. During his stint there, he also ran for office as a Republican and won as well as became a vocal supporter of the 15th Amendment, which allowed people the right to vote regardless of race, color, or previous servitude. Wow, quite a story. Far cry from Mr. Hurst's silver spoon up the butt. Very true. Pulitzer soon became known as a champion of the common man. In 1878, he bought the St. Louis Dispatch and merged it with the St. Louis Post to create the Post-Dispatch and used it to spread the populist rhetoric and sensationalist style of writing that made him famous. Within four years, he grew the Post-Dispatch's circulation to five times its size, which naturally led him to buy more presses and increase wages. However, this was thought to be less out of the kindness of his heart and more from a desire to crush the attempts that were made to unionize. Sort of like a Starbucks. Ooh, wow. People are loving this pro-union rhetoric in the live stream. A couple commie comments, but uh, nothing too drastic. Holy moly, those numbers, though. We're about to break 10,000 listeners, my man. Well, fly us to the moon. And hey, we're still in the historical context segment. Just wait till we get to the main event. Uh, yeah, by the way, uh, what is that? <laughs> Patience, patience, we'll get there. So yeah, Pulitzer's man of the people shtick was a bit of a facade, used to boost his business while denying his workers the right to organize. But Lord knows that doesn't stop anyone now, and it didn't stop him then. After the success of the Post-Dispatch, Pulitzer went to New York to meet with Jay Gould, one of the infamous robber barons and railway magnates of the 1800s, who was now the owner of the New York World newspaper. The paper was essentially a trash tabloid of the time, which had notoriously published forged documents supposedly from Abraham Lincoln in an attempt to smear the president. Lincoln had the then owner of the paper, Manton Marble, arrested. But years later, Marble would sell the paper to railway kingpin and industrialist Thomas Scott, who openly admitted he'd bought the paper to use as a propaganda vehicle for his stock enterprises. Ha! Yikes! Didn't this guy know you're not supposed to say the quiet part out loud? You're supposed to say you're just diversifying business interests and hope to provide reliable, fair, balanced information for readers and yada, yada, yada. Now remember, this was before the public relations industry came along to provide a big old Captain America shield to shady corporate practices. Anyways, turns out Scott was a lousy businessman and eventually sold the failing paper to our lovely Jay Gould, who was, by the way, Another trash human being who manipulated the markets leading to the Black Friday crash of 1869. But that's another story. Point is, Jay Gould had pretty much the same philosophy about the paper as a propaganda tool. Under Gould, the New York world became profitable again, just in time for Joseph Pulitzer to swoop in from St. Louis and buy it up. Pulitzer, of course, brought his signature style along with him. He filled the paper with sensationalized headlines, games, comics. He even offered the first color prints. He also liked to play both sides of issues. 
He proliferated investigative journalism, running exposés on social issues such as abuses in tenement housing, while simultaneously playing up sensationalist fear-mongering in his headlines. Ah, a little of the old social engineering we touched on in last week's episode. Precisely. But his sensationalist tactics would eventually come back to bite him in the ass. While he was busy growing the New York world, on the other side of the country in San Francisco, William Randolph Hearst drew inspiration from the Pulitzer model of newsprinting and applied it to his San Francisco examiner. Hearst made a quarter of the stories in his newspaper about crime, using intentionally dramatic language to sensationalize events and insisting his writers portray crime stories as morality plays, simplifying the stories into simple, good-bad narratives. Ooh, okay, I am seeing the through lines from our previous episodes, Danny boy. You know what they say, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Yeah, they do say that, don't they? You know, it's starting to seem like the whole season has been building up to this. Hmm, what are you planning over there, buddy boy? Eventually, the San Fran Examiner rode the sensationalist train right to the top and William Randolph Hearst set his sights on the very man who had once inspired him, Joseph Pulitzer. He moved to New York, bought the New York Journal, and began charging a penny a paper, undercutting the New York world's two-penny price. The journal's readership then boomed to 150000 in the blink of an eye. He began raiding Pulitzer's staff, mainly by offering better pay, but also because Pulitzer was apparently a complete jackass to work for. And the war began. Each paper set out to outsell and out-sensationalize the other, offering more and more bells and whistles to their publications. The big battle came in the form of a comic called Hogan's Alley, which featured a young boy in a yellow nightshirt, who became known as the Yellow Kid. First, Hearst poached the comic's artist away from Pulitzer, taking the comic with him. Then, Pulitzer hired another artist and continued running the same comic. Soon, both papers were publishing Yellow Kid comics, which became a sort of cold war for increasing readership at any and all costs. And this is where the expression yellow journalism originates, a term for the shameless, unabashed techniques of spinning, dramatizing, and downright misleading readers, preying on the public's desire for emotional drama and gossip. Ah, I see the age-old debate between informational and entertainment. Can any self-respecting journalist have one without the other? Doesn't even the most honest, altruistic news organization have to appeal to some base instincts now and then to keep people coming back for more? Hey, you know how it is. When you've got an informational product that requires people's attention, how do you stand out from the crowd? Rise above the sea of similar content. Uh, why do I feel like the answer lies in the competitive shenanigans of Mr. Hearst and Pulitzer? Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, Sir Isaac Newton once said, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. For the ever-expanding news industry, Hearst and Pulitzer were those giants. Before they came along, newspapers were all black and white text, nothing setting one apart from another. I mean, they were just begging for someone to come along and spice it all up. And our warring news barons were just about the spiciest boys in the game. They changed the landscape forever, setting a new bar for attention grabbing for every newsman who would come after. The following two centuries of the news were a race to the tippity top of Attention Mountain, everyone seeking to grab more than the other guy by whatever means necessary. And we know from last week what comes with a little healthy rivalry, don't we? Well, allow me to defer to your legions of followers. They are shouting the answer from the digital rooftops, Danny boy. Say it with me, everyone. We cash in. You're damn right. Ring-a-ding that could ching-a-ching. Much like Coke versus Pepsi, the competition was tough, but also mutually beneficial. During their years of conflict, advertising revenue and readership boomed for both the Hearst and Pulitzer empires. Everybody wins when it comes to war. Here's a prime example. In the 1890s, the U.S. battleship Maine exploded and sank off the coast of Cuba. Tensions had already been high between Cuba and Spain, and the U.S. newspapers were fanning the flames with a lot of pro-war sentiment. The noble, heroic revolutionaries struggling against the harsh, cruel Spanish even pushing the theory that it was a Spanish mine that sank the main, despite eyewitness testimony that the explosion occurred on board the ship. Thanks to a U.S.-backed investigation to prove Spain was behind the attack, coupled with a media frenzy back home calling for war, 
So began the Spanish-American War. And oh, baby, is war ever good for business? So what if they embellished a few details? Think of the profits. Something, something, omelets and eggs, am I right? <laughs> Spot on again, my man. You've really grown this season too, you know that? Hey, look at us. Who'd have thunk it? Not me. So, after the end of the Spanish-American War, the techniques of yellow journalism had become well-known to the public, and the unchecked behemoth of all this informational transmission was starting to come under a more critical lens. Now, Joseph Pulitzer managed to check himself before he wrecked himself, retreating in shame, apparently, to a more true journalism in the name of progress, or at least progress, according to him. Hold the old Uno reverse, huh? Well, uh, what about my man Hearst? I mean, uh, come on, don't deprive me of all my spicy villains at once. Oh, don't worry, I, I won't. But uh, interesting side note, as Big D Energy 22 commented here in the chat, William Randolph Hearst actually became the inspiration for Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, a tale of a media tycoon who amasses great wealth and power, but ultimately winds up alone. While Pulitzer went on to become the household name for the most prestigious journalism prize around. So you could say the legacies of both men lived on, but in different ways. Well, everyone is a rich, complex tapestry, aren't they? If nothing else, we've made that clear this season. Everything's nuanced, nothing's black and white, and blah 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 blah. True. Although, while he may have been a good old-fashioned, flawed, corruptible human, Hearst's villainy was pretty damning. I mean, the man once allowed articles to be published insinuating President William McKinley should be assassinated. Uh, harmless rhetoric. Nothing wrong with showing an alternative political viewpoint, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Except if you know your American history, William McKinley was assassinated on September 6, 1901. Ah, uh, uh, well, bizarre coincidence or what? I'd say that's precisely what Hearst wanted people to think as well. Wait, wait, wait. So if Hearst isn't our big bad, uh, the true villain we've been gearing up to hammer down this week, then, uh, who is? <laughs> patience, patience, my friend. We're almost there. After the break, we're going to bring this thing home. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> uh, okie doke. Uh, yikes, I gotta take a call again. Uh, send us off, Dano. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He sure is taking a lot of calls this week. Yeah, yeah I, I know he's distracted. A lot of work goes into a show like this. You know, you gotta cut him some slack. Yeah. Uh, 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 oh, wh wow, you guys seem really confused again. I, look, I get it. This is our first live stream. I guess you don't all quite grasp the, you know, dynamic of the show. That's okay. That's okay. Just sit tight. After the break, it's going to get all David and Goliath in here. So, you know, get your slingshots ready. Hard no, we'll be right back. When the newfangled economy of crypto and Bitcoin seems too scary to navigate, put your trust and your money back into an old, reliable place. Buy gold and let your future be failure-proof. Status report. Uh, everything seems to be going according to plan, sir. He's assertive, confident, he's really wielding the power. Yes, yes, yes. However, there is some concern up here that perhaps he is straying outside the lines. Well, sir, if I may, this is the end result of a season-long build-up. He's weaving together all the themes and tactics of deception into a single focus on corrupted narratives. I mean, this is all pretty good stuff, if you ask me. I did not ask you for a mini-episode worth of explanation. No, sir, I, I understand, but with all due respect, we're doing exactly what you wanted. The numbers are soaring, the ad revenue is pouring in. You've been calling me over and over, telling me how great we're doing. I just... I, I'm, I'm not sure what the problem is here. The problem is that he is straying dangerously close to a target that is... off limits. What? Who? You know who. I don't need to tell you. If he goes down that road, there will be... Consequences. Uh, consequences? Uh, sir, after everything we've done, after how far he's come, you want us to pump the brakes now? He's losing control. 
I fear you may have created a monster, and you're too close to see it. Too close? <laughs> That's unfair. I have been a consummate professional every step of the way. You are on thin ice. You're going to put a stop to this before he takes it too far. Sir, I, uh, I, I can't, uh... You can, or I will send someone who will. Uh, yes, sir, I understand. Buy with Old Gold Hold Incorporated and rest easy with the currency that has stood the test of time. Old Gold Holding is not an accredited financial institution. Buy gold at your own risk. Gold prices are, were, will be, and always have been just as volatile as any other investment. Old Gold Hold is not responsible for any losses suffered due to placing your trust and money in our care. As a rule, do not take financial advice from Fast Talking Podcast ads. <laughs> yes, I love it. Thanks, Steve. And thanks, Cosmo Waves 22 I have been told that I have a great face for podcasting. You're both super kind to say that. Oh, oh, and buy gold. And be sure to grab a Tom Flogman's crispy chicken bacon jalapeno. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, sorry about that, Danny boy. Uh, but uh, could we have a quick chat? But, uh, yeah, yeah sh- sure. What, what's up? Uh, actually, I meant uh, in private. Hey, anything you want to say to me, you can say to the listeners, too. Uh, nah, you know what? Uh, it's nothing. No big deal. Just uh, trying to keep up with the whims and worries of the higher-ups, know what I mean? Not really, but okay. Onward! We are cooking with fire. So, we've told the tale of the news industry's boom in America, and we'll be back there shortly. But now, now we take a little detour. Because the United States wasn't the only land where news barons had mastered the crafts of sensationalism and hostile business takeovers. On the far side of the world... And a land of freaky critters, sun-baked beaches, and kooky accents. Ooh, ooh, where? Scotland? Ireland? New Zealand? Mm, Getting warmer. Uh, Literally. But no, I'm talking about my own kangaroo-littered ancestral homeland of Australia. While our American news barons were slugging out their own schemes, some of the world's greatest deceivers were in the land down under, coming together in mutually psychotic obsession to socially engineer public perception in their own way in order to grow and capitalize on their business interests. <laughs> Seriously? What now? Uh, it's, uh, it's just... Look, Dan, we really should have a little talk before you go any... Are you going to get that? Jeez, I I don't... uh... God damn it. Folks in the chat are starting to wonder what the hell is going on. And frankly, I am too. Either answer it or shut it off. For God's sake, I'm trying to change the world over here. It's just... uh, 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 It's nothing. It's nothing. On with the show. (laughs) I don't need your permission. Oh, hey, hey, uh, look, I'm I'm sorry, Danny boy, really. You should be. While you were busy taking your little phone calls, we just broke the 100,000 mark. (laughs) Wow, I have the power of the people behind me now. Nothing can stop this train, not even your big shot fat cat higher-ups. Look, I'm with you, buddy boy. Just please, please try to stay grounded. Let's not do anything too crazy. I'll do whatever the hell I want. Now listen close, folks. July 24th, 1879, Robert Clyde Packers, born in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. As a young man, he went to work in the budding field of journalism and worked his way up to editor of the Sydney Sunday Times, where he helped grow the paper's readership to over 100,000 by 1913. Praised for his dynamic management style, sensational angles, and abundant illustrations, Packer made the right friends at a few shrewd business decisions and founded Smith's Weekly and The Daily Guardian. Wow, sounds like a dynamic go-getter who knows how to cater to the public. Well, sure. Or, as Eric Baum, a journalist at one of Packer's papers said, Packer had a keen sense of what readers of the mental age of 15 or less want in the way of news and stunts. Hey, you know what I say, uh, appeal is appeal, the value of simplicity after all, and hey, it looks like the live streamers in the chat tend to agree. <laughs> there you go again, always playing both sides, 
and still managing to miss the point. And besides, the live streamers seem a little confused again anyways. Oh, Danny boy, now don't go insulting our listeners. What? It's like some of them are tuned into a completely different show. I mean, look at this. Tiddlywink77 is asking why I just seem to keep talking to myself so much. I'm talking to you. I'm trying to educate you. Come on, people. Jesus, you guys ever listened to a podcast before? All right, the Danny boy, slow down. We gotta have a little uh, chat. No, no. We stop for nothing. The numbers are still soaring, and so are we. So, Robert Clyde Packer bites the dust in 1934. Good riddance. Leaves the business to his son, Frank, who is a journalist at Dear Daddy's Paper. Nepo baby Frank, now at the helm, acquires one of the country's first television licenses, capitalizing on the Aussie government's mandate that each capital city in the country must have two commercial TV networks. He also expanded the Packer print empire, including the highly successful Australian Women's Weekly. Frank then took his father's major news holdings and formed the Australian Consolidated Press, which he was the chairman of until his death in 1974. (laughs) Another ruthless media baron bites the dust. Womp womp. Dan, I think... uh... And as always, the death of a lying news mogul is brought to you by Tree Gods Pre-Rolls. When reality has been warped beyond recognition by a dynasty of greedy corporate interests, escape for a few sweet hours with Tree Gods, finest sativa strains. Tree Gods, for a world that's gone up in smoke. Anyway, seriously, maybe we should take a minute. uh... I don't have a minute. So, Robert Packer... Gone. Frank Packer, worm food. But here's the important part. Somewhere in the later years of his illustrious career, Frank had acquired a paper called the Daily Telegraph. And after years of cutthroat deals, pay disputes with workers, and falling outs with associates, Frank was finally convinced to sell the Telegraph, a move that would haunt the family for years to come. Uh, oh boy. Who, oh, Dan? Who who did Frank sell the paper to? (laughs) You already know, don't you? Our target, our enemy, the last stop on our train ride for truth. The man I've been gutting for all along, even before I knew it. It was always him. Man, please, I gotta warn you, this is a bad idea. Says who? Your cowardly corporate overlords. Look at the numbers. The people are with me. They're foaming at the mouth, and so am I. I've chosen my target. He's in my crosshairs. There's no turning back now. Dan, please, I'm begging you. Don't do this. It's not you. The listeners are confused. They don't understand what's happening to you. Shut it. They understand me. All you've ever done is stand in my way. Well, not anymore. You can leave now. The show is mine. Leave? Leave? Dan, I I can't just leave. It doesn't work like that. Uh, Oh, jeez, he was right. He was right. You've become a... A monster. A monster? <laughs> no, no, I'm finally me. The me you always wanted me to be. Confident, committed, successful. And after everything you've said, everything you've done, you have the audacity to call me a monster? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. You want the real monster? Ladies and gentlemen, in 1972, Frank Packer sold the Daily Telegraph to my arch-villain, King of Lies, Fox News peddling piece of human scum, the man who is truly history's greatest monster. Please, Dan! Keith! Don't do it! Rupert! No! Murdoch! <laughs> See, we just broke a million listeners. I did it. I did it. I made it. They love it. They, they love me. All right, knowers, let's do it. Rupert Murdoch was born on March 11th, 1931, a day that... <sighs> Who the hell is that? Uh, I don't know. Well... Why don't you make yourself useful and get the door? I, uh, I can't do that, Danny boy. Uh, I think it's gotta be you. Oh, Jesus Christ. Useless. That's what you are. What the hell? What? Get, get, get your hands off me. Do you know who I am? You can't just... Hey, stop! 
Help me! Uh, somebody help me! I'm sorry, Danny boy. I tried to warn you. I should have known. I should have known they're scared of me. Scared of the truth I'm gonna tell, yeah. Yeah, lock me up, will they? Yeah, well, well, joke's on them. I've never felt so vindicated. I'm a prisoner of conscience. A martyr. I'm a goddamn hero. And when my fans find out I'm in here, yeah, they're, they're gonna storm this place. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna storm it like, 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 like the Bastille, and I'll be free. A freedom fighter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that'll be off with their heads. <laughs> off with all their heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, buddy boy. Yeah. Oh, yes, you you came. You came, finally. <laughs> okay, get, get me out of the cell already, please. Come on, come on. What? Why, why, why are you... What? How did, how, how did they let you in here? Uh... I told them I'm your legal counsel. I guess that gives us attorney-client privilege or whatever. <laughs> what is this place? What am I doing here? I, I, I feel... I feel weird. It looks like you're gonna have to answer for a few things, Dano. Answer for what? Get me out of here already. I've got a show to do. We're so close. I'm afraid I can't get you out. What? After all we've been through, all your little quips, your hawking ads, questioning my every word, my every move, and now, when I really need you and you won't help me, what good are you? And what the hell is that noise? Enough of this. What's going on here? I'm sorry, Danny boy. Really. But uh, I can't spring you. Why not? You're a smart guy. I think you already know the answer to that. Think, Dan. What? What? <laughs> What is that? Think harder. How did you come to be here? I, I, I don't. I, I, I can't remember. Think that day in the coffee shop. The day we met. You were working on the show and... And, and I was stumped. I was, I was angry, confused, and then, and then you came up to me and you... And you... I appeared, Dan, right before your eyes. <sighs> No, 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 it, it, no, it can't be. Oh, it be. Well, who are you? Come on, what's your name? I don't have a name, Dan, because I'm not really here. Because... <sighs> because I created you. I... you... you were me. Uh, oh, no, 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 let me out. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not here. You're not here. This isn't real. I'm back in the coffee shop. Yeah, I'm back in the coffee shop. Let me go back. Somebody, somebody, please, let me go back. Bon voyage, Danny boy. And the truth shall set you free. God, it worked. It worked. I'm free. I'm free. Back to life. Back to reality. Oh, that feels good. Oh. <laughs> oh. What has been going on? Oh, what the hell is this? Is this even real? Was any of this really me? Hey, uh, excuse uh, me. Would you mind watching my bag for a moment? I'll, I'll just be right back. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, oh, hey, actually... Sorry, um, but I see you here all the time. I was just actually wondering, have you seen my friend? Your friend? Yeah, yeah, the guy I'm always with here. You know, the gruff, sort of sleazy, used car salesman sort of vibe. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know who you mean. I see you in here every day, but by yourself. Never seen you with, well, anyone, really. <sighs> oh... Thank you.
Inferno is written and produced by Dan Felton and David Felton. Original music was produced by David Felton. Find more of his work at dfeltmusic on Instagram. Hardno's artwork was created by the talented Q, who you can find at The Mighty Q Works on Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks this episode to Jeff Feitner, who's on the socials at Fight Pro, and has all your podcast production needs at fightpro.com. To follow Hardno on social media, follow at DisinformedDan on Twitter and Instagram. Additional notes and sources can be found at disinformed.ca slash hardno. Questions, comments, concerns? Email me at dan at disinformed.ca. And if you like what you hear, pass it on. And thanks for listening. 